Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm Jonathan Grace and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief John DeGeese. John, how was your week? It was pretty good, Jonathan. We kicked off the Asian Le Mans series um, with two rounds at the Dubai Autodrome. Um, basically, we've reached a half point of the of the season, believe it or not, how this condensed championship works. But um, nonetheless, looking forward to diving into that and catching up on the news of the week and, and more on this show. Absolutely. And we've got a great show for you today. We'll recap both four hours of Dubai. We'll bring you the news of the week, answer some listener questions, and give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on this week's edition of Double Stint. So let's dive in. Normally, I'd say let's recap the four hours of Dubai, but we had two of them. We had a race one and a race two, both at the Dubai Autodrome to kick off the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, And like you said, a condensed season, but certainly no lack of competition. LMP2, LMP3, and a mix of GT cars in there with with GT3. Uh, In LMP2, in race one, it was the number 35 Algarve Pro Racing Orica 07 Gibson, James Allen, Kiffin Simpson, and John Falve taking victory over the number three DKR Engineering Squad and the number 98-99 Racing Squad. Uh, In LMP3, it was the number 29 MV2S Racing Ligier who took victory, and in the GT ranks, it was Walken Horse who ended up sweeping the weekend. Yeah, uh, impressive stuff from the BMW with Nikki Katzberg, Chandler Hall, and Thomas Merrill. A a real dynamite driver lineup, I'd have to say, because um, this is kind of a trend, and we might get into this a little bit later, but uh, Asian Le Mans series uses driver ratings from the previous year because this championship used to be contested basically as a winter series over two calendar years, you know, starting in September, October and ending in February or March. Um, we had this condensed calendar um, for two weeks in the Middle East for the last couple of years due to COVID. And it, it's worked quite well for for car counts and teams and, and everything like that. But um, they still used a rule where you have uh, it depends what your driver rating is from the previous year. And Thomas Merrill was still a bronze as of last year. He's now a silver. And um, that might have given the Vulcan horse team a little bit of an edge. Um, but um, we've had an, another driver rating situation uh, in the 99 racing Orica um, that left with, I think, two driver replacements and one right at the last minute, right up in like seconds before qualifying, the driver got in to do his first laps. So um, some interesting rules from this, this uh, championship. Um, but nonetheless, it provided some really good racing. Um, like you said, Jonathan Algarve Pro took the win in race one, an early points lead for them. They actually retained the points lead following the two rounds, um, which we'll get to in, in a second here. But um, uh, all in all, a, a good lineup there with James Allen, who's fresh off the Rolex 24 um, victory in that photo finish um, driving for Proton competition. And Kiffin Simpson, who also took part in the Rolex 2014 with John Felb there. Um, all in all, um, a good first race, I would have to say, um, for for that team. Absolutely. And they nearly followed it up in race two, a, a puncture taking away their chances of a victory, still finishing fourth. And as you said, retaining that points lead. But in race two, it was the number 43 inter-Europol competition car. Uh, Nolan Siegel, Christian Bogle, and Charles Cruz taking victory. An All-American lineup, John, with the overall honors. Yeah, and Nolan Siegel was extremely impressive in the closing stint. He got around the DKR engineering orica of Charlie Eastwood there in, in, with less than 20 minutes to go in the darkness. Uh, Siegel was on a charge, and um, it was really impressive to see his 
growth as a driver. This was his LMP2 debut weekend. Um, he had done some LMP3 racing in the States, um, GT4, um, uh, in Michelin Pilot Challenge. He was a late fill-in for Sean Creech Motorsports lineup in the, the Rolex 24, which almost went on to claim the LMP3 class victory. So he's been making some waves lately. He's going to be an Indy Next driver um, this year alongside Kiffin Simpson. So um, really cool to see some up-and-coming American talent um, take part in this race and, and really shine. Absolutely. And uh, DKR continuing to add to the trophy cabinet. They finished second in LMP2 in the three car. And then it was the number 24 Nielsen racing machine that took third. Uh, In LMP3, though, DKR engineering in the five car with their Duquesne D08 Nissan took victory in that class ahead of Graf and MV2S. And in the GT ranks, like we said, it was a Vulcan horse sweep. Uh, Katzberg, Cole, and Merrill uh, doing a fantastic job that weekend, uh, finishing ahead of the Mercedes-AMG of Get Speed and the number 21, AF Corsa Ferrari. Yeah, there was a, quite a big battle there at the end between Raffaele Marciello and the Get Speed Mercedes and Miguel Molina in the AF Corsa Ferrari. It almost felt like a GT World Challenge race with with those two sort of battling it out. And um, the depth of the GT class was is unparalleled, you know, for the Asian uh, for an ACO run championship at least. Um, it was amazing to see the amount of driver talent and, and teams and, and cars entered this year. It really felt like it could have very well been an, an SRO run GT3 championship. Well, the series is kind of partially owned by SRO now. Um, I think that only officially takes into effect next year. But um, nonetheless, uh, really good to see um, some great competition. There were some balance of performance adjustments made overnight. I'm not sure how much that really helped or hurt some teams because we saw the results more or less the same but um nonetheless um, some great action in the gt class absolutely and i think overall it was just nice to see such a full grid for the asian Le Mans series they've been working so hard to keep this series going and in the midst of covid and and you know all the delays and struggles they've had with different nations reopening or not reopening and, and trying to fill the grid it, it really did seem uh like a very full very competitive grid it made for two really really exciting races yeah, and there's still two more to go um, this coming weekend in Abu Dhabi at Yas Marina Circuit. So as of we speak now, all the teams are making the about an hour and a half trek over to Yas Marina Circuit, um, unloading all their containers and getting set up for the the final stanza of the of the season, as you would call it. Yeah, really not much time to rest, although probably one of the nicest commutes between uh, two races, just an hour and a half, is uh, really not too, too much in the way of of travel and and logistics uh, for those teams. But either way, if you enjoy the action this weekend, we'll get to do it all again next weekend. As always, you can follow all the weekend's racing action in Dan Lloyd's weekly racing roundup on sportscar365.com. Well, John, let's dive into talking about some of the news of the week, and we'll start with this. Ford has ruled out prototype racing amidst its recent F1 commitments. They originally stated that they'd give fair consideration to both LMH and LMDH as a platform, but they've since backtracked and ruled out prototype racing now. They have partnered with Red Bull Powertrains for a return to Formula One, and they say they'll focus on their upcoming GT3 and GT4 cars based on the production Mustang that are set to debut next year. And John, they said they weren't exactly satisfied with the electrification on offer from IMSA and the World Endurance Championship and other series. They do run in the World Rally Championship with the Puma Hybrid, and of course they'll be running in F1 in in 2026. But this kind of all feels very Audi-esque. I know Audi had a fully built prototype uh, before they announced the end of their program, but it, it kind of rings back to that. 
it does ring back to that in some ways, but we do have to make it clear that Ford had never committed to an LMDH or an LMH program. They were only evaluating it and looking at the possibilities. So it didn't go as far as what Audi had done. Um, I, I think Audi had announced it, and then I think almost a year later, they they backed out of it. So um, don't want to paint the picture being as bad as Audi, but for, from a fan's perspective, I'm, I'm sure it's really still disappointing news, and it does seem quite similar considering both manufacturers are now going to be entering F1. It's an interesting development for sure because I myself and, and others had conversations with Mark Rushbrook, the the Ford Performance Motorsport Global Director at Daytona. And and that's where he gave me the update on the LMDH LMH evaluations. And just a few weeks later, um, Mark and and Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford, um, told a, a colleague, Mac Morrison of Motor Trend, that they're not doing prototype racing and um, they've, they've completely ruled it out, um, sort of hinting because of its recent F1 commitment. And if you backtrack a few weeks, it was pretty clear that Ford had everything lined up to go F1 racing back around the Rolex 24. Of course, it wasn't announced at that time, but um, to sort of mislead media in a little bit of a way is quite frankly a bit disappointing because I'm sure they had this sort of mapped out in their global plan book and just to sort of say that, hey, they're looking at, at prototype racing and then two weeks later, no, they're not. I don't, I don't think there was any significant development in that time period other than formalizing, officiate, officially formalizing its F1 commitments. But nonetheless, the, the news is that they, they're not actively looking at prototypes anymore, which is a, which is a disappointment. But like you said, Jonathan, they're going to be um, fully focused on uh, GT in sports car racing on GT3, GT4, and then the launch of a new single make series that we don't have many details on just yet. But it seems like a pretty serious operation. So Ford is definitely still fully in in the sports car racing world. Um, you have to look at some other manufacturers that don't have prototype programs that just focus on the GT ranks and they do quite well. So we have to be thankful that all of the budget is not going towards F1 like pretty much Audi has sort of evolved to. Um, again, we don't know the extent of the future of the Audi's GT3, GT4 programs. Right now, they're still online, but you know, there's been a lot of talk of maybe it's not going to be around by 2026, especially with no successor to the R8. So making those parallels, you know, I, uh, there's always going to be a Mustang on the road, as far as I know. And um, Ford has two brand new cars coming out in the next year. So um, I, I think that shows their commitment to GT racing. It's just a shame how things sort of played out in, in, the, in the prototype scheme of things. Absolutely. But you mentioned the Mustang programs and, and more on that in just a little bit here. Talking about IMSA, we do know that there are 26 entries set for IMSA's sanctioned Sebring test ahead of the Super Sebring Race Week. IMSA will host an optional two-day test for teams, and we'll see quite a few of them. Seven of the eight full-season GTP cars will be there. BMW is just downscaling to one car. Only a few LMP2s and just a single LMP3. The new Ave Motorsports entry uh, will be on track testing, but 15 GT3 cars and John, crucially, there's some post-Daytona balance of performance adjustments here as well. Yeah, we've had some BOP changes since the 
the Rolex 24. Um, I guess we should start off with, with GTP. The power has been increased, um, by, by 20 kilowatts for all of the, the GTP cars and, and a 10 additional megajoules of maximum stint energy, um, to basically compensate for that. Um, interestingly enough, all the GTP cars remain on the same levels, more or less. The RPM limits are the same. So, um, they haven't been balanced within themselves at all yet. And, and that'll be interesting to see if anything happens out after this test. But I think more importantly, um, everybody's eyes were, were on the POP tables for the GTD and GTD Pro categories, considering the race we saw at Daytona, where it was pretty heavily slanted towards the Mercedes and Aston Martin up front. Um, and we, we had the new for 2023 cars from Porsche, Lamborghini, and Ferrari all struggle. Um, those three cars have been given performance breaks. Um, the Porsche has been given a one millimeter larger air restrictor along with the Lamborghini. And then the Ferrari has a slight increase in turbo boost pressures. Um, personally, I don't think that's enough to bring them on par with, with the other cars. But then again, this is heading into a test and it's an optional test as well. So, um, I, I think that IMSS is going to be using a lot more data. Um, they're going to be taking a lot of data from this upcoming two day test that kicks off on uh, Wednesday. And, um, and it should really put things into focus and, and seeing where these cars stack up on a more traditional road course rather than Daytona. Um, the other thing that's interesting to note is that IMSA typically had a Daytona only balance of performance for all of its categories for the GTD and top class, um, it looks like they've sort of moved away from that based on the, the release of these tables. Um, GTD had remained unchanged for all the other cars except those newer updated three brands. So that's another interesting thing to keep an eye on as we get closer to the Super Sebring week next month. Oh, that's very true. And and as I understand, IMSA reserves the right to make further changes to after the test if they feel that the data they've gathered uh, during the Sebring test points to, to the fact that they should maybe increase or decrease performance for a single manufacturer here or there. Exactly. And I fully expect there to be changes. Um, you know, I, I, I think that they're being a little conservative again on the new GTD cars. Um, that was outlined, it is outlined in the, in the technical regulations. So, um, they're doing everything by the book. Um, they do hold the right to, to make bigger adjustments where they see needed. Um, but these cars are on a probationary period, so called for the first couple races of the year because they are new specimens to the series. So in, and a lot can be changed and there's a lot of variables at, at play, you know, and, and quite frankly, IMSA is the only series that's actually running these new cars right now. Um, we had, you know, the Intercontinental GT Challenge kick off its season at Bathurst and, um, all three of those cars were not allowed because it hadn't gone through SRO's balance of performance testing. So, um, it's still very early days for the Ferrari 296, the, the Type 992 Porsche 911 GT3R and the Lamborghini Huracan Evo 2. Um, I'm sure they'll eventually get up to speed in, in the, in the, in the window where they need to be. Um, personally, I don't, I don't think these changes are enough, but, um, let's see how it goes on during the test and, I think I have, I, I personally have the faith in IMSA that things will be made right for, for the 12 hour. 
Porsche says it remains in constant talks with its LMDH customers. We know that there are four customers set to take delivery of customer Porsche 963s in late April with race debuts uh, as quick as they can after pending some necessary testing. Porsche says they've been open but not too open with information with customers. And I think this is an interesting talking point, John, because at some point, these customers are going to have to compete against the Porsche Penske's. And if you're Porsche Penske, I imagine you want your customers to succeed and beat everybody else, but maybe not the factory team. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting one for sure. And we had this dynamic with the Porsche RS Spiders back in the late 2000s when Dyson entered the fray in the ALMS. Um, we had privateer Porsches as well in Europe, but there was no Penske um, factory run effort there. It was just in the American Le Mans series. So um, yeah, the dynamics going to come back for sure. And 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 you look at some of the teams building up infrastructures like like Hertz Team Joda bringing in Dieter Gas to to be the team principal. That says a whole lot there of where they want to be. They want to be winning races, and um, it, it it's pretty clear that they're they're hoping to be fighting against Penske for for race wins. And um, let's see how that unfolds. Um, I had a really good conversation with Thomas Loudenbach during the Rolex 24 week. And he explained to me, like like you said, Jonathan, that, you know, there's an open book, but maybe not a completely open book in terms of setup and procedures and everything like that. Porsche is obviously in charge of um, making sure the customers understand the cars. They know the safety procedures. They know how to rebuild them. They know all the basics that are required to get the cars up and running. And, and all that is ongoing right now as the, as the teams are, um, waiting for their final delivery of their cars that it should be coming in late April. But, you know, once they hit the track, it's not going to be like an open book, you know, uploading your, your, your setup files to the cloud and sharing it with your, the team next door. Um, that actually has happened between Meyer Shank Racing and Wayne Taylor Racing during the Rolex 24, believe it or not. They are actually sharing data through the through a cloud-based system, and um, that just shows the level of cooperation the two factory accurate teams had. But we're not going to be seeing that with the Porsche customers and Penske, but um, still Porsche is going to be providing a, a sufficient level of, of support, much like it does to the GT3 cars and, and previously the GTE cars. So um, nothing's changed on that front at, at all. I think it's just more of a clarification of what some of these teams can expect to get. Um, but at the same time, these teams are very top-level professionals, um, even though, uh, for instance, Proton competition will be new to top-level prototype racing. They only run one race in prototypes uh, up until now, and that, that was actually winning the Rolex 24 in LMP2. Um, but then you had teams like Jota, which has been a, a, a constant success in LMP2 ranks, and then um, JDC Miller Motorsports, which has won WeatherTech Championship races overall with LMP2 machinery and, and being a, a bit of an underdog at times and winning with their Cadillac and, and DPI as well. So um, I, I think all three of these teams with the four total cars, um, Proton will have two of them. I, I think they're going to be well equipped for um, success and and um, to be in a good position. It, it's just an interesting situation where, you know, it's not going to be a completely open book strategy. Yeah, it is really interesting. And it, it's neat to see that that element of competition is still there, even amongst all the, the 963s. Uh, very excited for later this year, whenever we do see them on track, to see them compete against the factory Porsche Penske's. 
Lamborghini and Iron Lynx are establishing a base in the United States for their GTP program. They are building a brand new facility where their LMDH program will be housed. Uh, it'll eventually contain the American arm of Iron Lynx's GT3 program as well. They're currently running Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo 2s. Uh, it's set to be pretty big, John. 25,000 square feet in Detroit near Lamborghini Squadra Corsa's facility there. Uh, and they said it, it needs to be big because it's got to house the trucks inside. It gets pretty cold in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, this is it's an interesting one because there's not many teams based in Detroit in, in the U.S. Um, for, for sports car racing, at least um, the majority are in Florida, um, uh, Atlanta area, Indianapolis, uh, North Carolina, um, some out west. But um, Detroit's a it's a it's an interest it's a good choice because obviously Lamborghini Squadra Corsa North America is there. Um, that's first and foremost a a, a good bet to be close to the factory in terms of getting parts in it's close to an international airport in detroit and able to getting things air freighted back and forth between italy so um it's strategically a really good i i a really good location i would have to think and it also shows how serious this program is it, they're only going to be doing three or four of the possibly four or five of the endurance races because we're going to have in, the indianapolis um round i think uh included as part of the michelin endurance cup starting next year so um but debuting most likely at sebring and not at daytona um you know this is going to be a a smaller effort you know all things considered yet they're still going to be building out this foundation for the future and that really bodes well i think maybe for a potential full season program in 2025 maybe going up to two cars i, I know we spoke last week about the focus on a single car program in both uh, the weather tech championship and the wec in 24 with hopefully two cars at Lama and two cars at daytona in 2025 um but the, the, the foundation is definitely being laid at lamborghini and iron links yeah, you mentioned with the Porsche customers how everybody is scaling up. I think this is a huge example of that uh, on the Lamborghini side. I mean, building an entirely new facility. We know that Iron Lynx and their partner Prema is well-funded. Obviously, Lamborghini is well-funded. They are really going at this with full force. Yeah, and, and this is an interesting partnership because you said like you said there's prema there's iron links there's lamborghini there's um the the parent company dc racing solutions there's a lot of different parties all involved in this partnership and um, it's not being run like a traditional factory team there's there's more support from the iron links side of things or the dc racing solutions side but it's certainly not lacking any kind of support and i think it's very well being treated almost like a, a full factory program just because of how serious the, everybody's taking this with with establishing bases in in, in the U.S. And then uh, Iron Lynx is going to be expanding their, their presence in Italy as well for, for, for the WEC portion of the program. So um, really exciting stuff from Lamborghini. Absolutely. And before we wrap up this point, I think one more interesting element to the story is just who they're going to hire. Uh, obviously, with this program and this facility being in the US, are they going to continue to hire American employees or are they going to bring folks over from Europe? This is kind of one thing that has yet to be decided. Yeah, I guess it all depends on how big of the program gets. If the GT3 commitment maybe goes full season next year um, instead of, you know, instead of just doing the endurance cup races, maybe that would necessitate enough U.S. based staff to be hired for for the uh, Iron Links Lamborghini program. Um, if both programs, the uh, the GTP and the the GT Daytona or GTD Pro GTD effort um, stays for the Michelin Endurance Cup races only, maybe they just fly people in. Um, so I think all that remains to be seen. 
We'll throw some other quick headlines at you before we move on with the show. We'll start with this. Lexus and Toyota say that their next generation GT3 car is, quote, well underway. The new car is slated for a potential debut in 2025, and it's set to replace the current Lexus RCF GT3. The car is understood to be based off of the GR GT3 concept that was unveiled at the Tokyo Auto Salon last year, although it's still unclear what the car's branding will be, whether that's Toyota, Lexus, or Toyota's newer performance subdivision, Gazoo Racing. Kyle Kirkwood joins Vassar Sullivan for two of the three remaining Endurance Cup rounds this season in IMSA. The joint IMSA and NTT IndyCar Series driver will partner with Ben Barnicote and Jack Hawksworth in the number 14 Vassar Sullivan Lexus for the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring that's coming up and the season-ending Motul Petit Le Mans, but he will not contest the Salem Six Hours of the Glen in the middle of the season. Ford is set to launch a single-make series around its new for 2024 Mustang. While current details on the upcoming series are a little sparse, we do know that the car being used will be based off the production track-only 500-plus horsepower Mustang Dark Horse R version of the new Ford Mustang. The car will be slightly heavier and less downforce reliant than the upcoming Mustang GT4, but will still be plenty capable for the Mustang-only series, which could debut as early as next year. Porsche Motorsport North America releases their 2023 Carrera Cup schedule with a new title sponsor. The 2023 Porsche Deluxe Carrera Cup North America will contest 16 rounds over eight weekends, partnering as usual with IMSA and IndyCar at Long Beach, but also with Formula One and NASCAR. The season kicks off as part of the Super Sebring event, and Deluxe has acquired the entitlement rights to the series, which will feature branding on all the cars, among other branding-related changes. Applications are now open for the IMSA Diverse Driver Development Scholarship. Now in its third year on offering, the scholarship program for the 2024 and 2025 IMSA season is worth over a quarter million dollars, and it includes a fully paid entry to either the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, Michelin Pilot Challenge, or VP Racing Sports Car Challenge, as well as a half-paid season for the following year. New perks also include learning modules, cover driver media training, sponsorship, and business training, among other off-track resources. Jaden Conright and Courtney Crone are the two previous recipients of this scholarship. As always, you can read all about the headlines we've covered on today's show and more on sportscar365.com. And I'd also point you to the two recent Sportscar 365 Plus articles from John and Dan uh, about GTD and GTD Pro, as well as Corvette's new GT3 car. They're really great reads. Well, John, let's dive into answering some listener questions, uh, and we'll start with this. It's a question from Edward Bighouse, uh, and this is one that you kind of responded to in the comments, but we, we can definitely talk about some more here on the show as well. Edward asks, is Triarcy trying to get a Ferrari 499P? I see they've been testing at Sebring. And John, you were able to respond to this saying that they were simply supporting AF Corsa with equipment, but I, I definitely think there's more to dive into here. Yeah, all we know right now is that they've been supporting AF with, with some equipment for for the testing, I believe it'll probably move over into the thousand miles of Sebring for for the uh, the WEC for that car's debut. Um, don't know any facts if they're looking to get a 499P. We know, um, as as was revealed during Motul Petit Lama weekend uh, last year, um, Giuseppe Risi has been expressed a, a lot of interest in in acquiring a 499P in the future. 
Um, Triarcy could be another candidate. Um, you know, they've had a real rapid succession through the GT ranks, um, starting off in, in Ferrari Challenge competition, then making the move into Fanatec GT World Challenge America powered by AWS, um, then making its WeatherTech Championship debut with the brand new 296. So, um, they seem to be a very serious operation, but, um, I, wouldn't necessarily read into this, but we'll definitely follow up uh, when we talk to them at Sebring in, in just a, about a month's time. We had another question that came in on Twitter via the hashtag AskDoubleStint from Briar Star, And this is one that we're actually going to answer next week. But I just wanted to kind of give you a precursor here. We're, we're still doing some research on it. We want to make sure we give you the best answer. But uh, the question was relating to whether there are any good sports car racing books that are our history resources for the sport. It's a great question, uh, but stay tuned for what we find for next week. As always, we appreciate your questions, and we love answering them on the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on Double Stint, be sure to post it in the comment section below this episode, or you can take to Twitter and post your question using the hashtag AskDoubleStint, and we'll put our heads together to answer your question in an upcoming episode. Well, let's give you a quick preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. It's the Asian Le Mans series, and as you said, John, heading down the road to the Yas Marina circuit for the four hours of Abu Dhabi. It'll be similarly structured to what we saw this weekend. It'll be two rounds, each four hours long. Yeah, um, very similar um, timetable and schedule for for these teams. Um, I, I don't believe there's any changes to the entry list, unlike last year when we had United Autosports added in for the final two races because Josh Pearson was too young to compete in the first two <laughs> of the season. Um, that was a, kind of an interesting caveat there um, as his birthday was in between the two rounds. Um, we don't have anything like that as far as I know. Um, but keep it tuned to Sports Car 365 for uh, coverage of the uh, two uh, four hours of Abu Dhabi, where we'll have champions crowned and automatic invites secured for the 24 hours of Le Mans in just uh, uh, under a week's time. Yeah, it's not often you're treated to a full season just taking place over the course of four weeks. So it'll be certainly exciting to watch how, how everything wraps up here after it just began already this weekend. Well, that's it for us this week on the podcast. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For John DeGeese, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Double Stamp.